we've been going through together a series called Who's Your One? And, uh, but I just wanted to take a few, few moments today and just take a look at the power of one and take a look at the, a story of a father and two boys that he had. And you might be familiar with it as we get going. But as we begin, I wanted to just say that a lot of times we always think about the big, powerful things, don't we? Like, I was reading this week, like, just like uh, a Mustang, the, the amount of horsepower a must, Mustang has, especially with a Shelby motor. Or there is uh, the Navy developed literally this uh, gun that literally works off hydraulics that can shoot, like, these incredible large uh, bullets. And just all these other kinds of things that we think, when we think the word powerful, we think big. We think uh, grandiose, don't we? And yet, uh, I, I have a picture of something that's powerful, but yet it is small. It's a Carolina Reaper pepper. If you want to put that one up there, Anthony. And it's a, it's a very small pepper, and uh, it has some power uh, behind it. And it's not there? It's got to be there. It's not there? It, it must be that tiny. But listen, this pepper is literally... <laughs> you sure it's not in there? That's so bizarre. Anyway... So it's probably about, you know, the size of a golf ball, and it has a pointed end, like a very sharp pointed end, and they say that it is, is one of the most extremely hot peppers. Uh, they, they rank peppers through what's called a Scoville heating scale. Now, this uh, gets a 1.6 million on the Scoville heating scale. Now, you may go, what does that even mean? In relationship to a jalapeno, it is 220 times hotter than a jalapeno. So one of the, some of the side effects, if you dare to uh, even take a nibble of this pepper, it says most people get uncontrollable hiccups. Others will, will vomit, and some of the fortunate ones will just have dry heaves. So, I mean, if, you know, this is, uh, as, as it shows on social media sometimes, why women live longer than men. Well, there you go. And, uh, and so, but, but the idea is, is that sometimes it's the little things that go a long way. Sometimes it's the little things in our lives that make the greatest impact. And so that's why we want to look at today the power of one. If you've been in church for a long time, you've heard this story of the prodigal son. And yet what we're going to see here is our focus today is going to be on the father. And because the father, we're going to see, had more than one son. And we're going to see how this father responded to the way that his boys treated him. And so what we need to understand in this text today is that God wants all to experience salvation. It doesn't mean everybody's going to say yes. It doesn't mean everybody's going to follow. But that is the heart of God. Because too often, we think that we know the right way. And even in our culture, it's like, if you're a good person, or all paths lead to God. But what we know is that God is the one who did the work on the cross. He's the one who has chose us for his purposes in this world as followers of Jesus. And the hope is, is that God made peace for us and him through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at this, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 15. If you're going to grab one of the Bibles off the seat, it's page 969. And Luke chapter 15 is a series of what's called parables. And this story of the prodigal son is the third of three stories. Now, just to break this down, is that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now, we have to think in Eastern mindset. 
in, in Western mindsets, if you think about how we did papers in school and stuff like that, it was outlines, bullet points. But when you look at someone over in the East, they had flowing stories. You know, now we, now we learned to write stories in school and so on. But yet in the Eastern mindset, it was so different because this, this idea of an earthly story with a heavenly meaning also brought about you had characters in the story, you had a setting in the story, but ultimately that story led you to come to a decision about God. That's what it did. And so we're going to see here in Luke chapter 15, I just want to start with the first verse in Luke, not the first verse, but verse 11 of chapter 15 in our story. Verse 11 simply says this, and he said, this is Jesus speaking, there was a man who had two sons. That's how our story starts. So we have how many characters already? Three, yeah, father, and he had two sons. In verse 12, it goes on to say, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. That's important because in, in that day and time, property was of extreme value. And so was inheritances were of an extreme value. So this younger son says to his father, give me what I have coming to me. In other words, his father had set up for him that when he passed on, his boys would receive his inheritance, his property. But what we see here is that his son wanted it now. Now, if, if, if you were in that day and time and you told your father that you wanted your property now, you might as well have told him, dad, why don't you keel over and die so that I can get what's coming to me. I don't want to wait for it. Now, the, it says he divided it between them. That's important also because the older son would have had a portion of it. So typically what would have happened is, is that if I'm an older brother to Kevin here, uh, I would get two-thirds of the property. Kevin would have got a third of the property. He divided it among them. It would have been the older brother's responsibility to speak to the younger brother, literally take him aside and say, what are you doing? What's your problem? You are shaming the family. You're making an embarrassment of yourself and of dad. But it says that he divided the property between them, and it doesn't say that the older brother stepped in to do anything. And so that's important for us to understand because here's the other thing. The older son, he would have, would have began to hold the title of the estate. He still would have continued to work for his father, but on the estate, he still was under the authority of his dad. So he still gets an inheritance that's not really due him. He was supposed to say something, and yet he didn't. So we see that the father, let's be honest, he had two miserable sons. <laughs> one wanted it now, and the other one just was okay with having it now. But let's look together here at, at uh, verses 13 through 18. It says, excuse me, verse 13, let's start there. It says, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Important for us to understand that. So he gets his inheritance. Somehow he sold the property. He's ready to go, and he's, he's going out. It says he went to a far country. Now, in that day and time as well, he probably wouldn't have went very far because the living that, that people did in that day and time, they, they typically lived more in compounds. So they lived in walled family communities, if you want to call it. So for him to leave his 
compound was him leaving into another land to, for him to go to a far country. It doesn't say how far he went. It just says that he left. He shouldn't even ask the question, Dad, can I have what's due me now? And so that's important for us because when we go back to the older brother, what he should have done and what the father could have done, it didn't happen. And so he went off. There's a famine in the land. Have you ever had times when you thought you were doing your thing your way, you thought you had, and all of a sudden, bam. It may be not a famine, but, but tragedy, calamity come your way. And now he's in desperate need. But what we see when the father gave this son the property is this, is that the father extended grace. The father extended grace. What, what, what do we mean he extended grace? He gave him what he did not deserve. He gave him what he should have waited for until his father passed away. But the father extended grace to him. God the Father extends grace to us. Paul says in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't say some people, many people. It says, For all have sinned. We missed the mark of God's glorious standard. But it says in verse 24, And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. And so God, once again, gives us what we don't deserve. He gave us who? He gave us Jesus. We deserved hell. In other words, we deserved eternal separation from God. We deserved com the complete absence of God. That's what we deserve. But yet, God the Father extended grace, even in spite of us not being good enough for his standards, he still offered us salvation through his son so that we could live out his purposes in this world. Amen? Yeah. And so let me ask this. If God is one who extends grace, then where are you taking advantage of the goodness of God? You ever hear that term entitled? This younger generation's entitled. <laughs> Not all of them, but my point is, is that we can live entitled as believers. Thinking we have our ticket punched and we don't have to do anything. See, remember, our works for God are a result of our salvation through Christ. That's what we have to remember. So let's look at the goodness of God as an act of grace. That's powerful, isn't it? And we're going to see how this grace is, is, uh, comes together in later on in the story. Because we see that there was a famine. We also see that the son begins to hire himself out. Because think about this. If, if you were someone who had money, people are going to be around, aren't they? But when the partying's done and the money's gone, those friends are gone. I remember when I got my first car, I had friends I never thought I would have had. Right? Think about that. And so what we're seeing is, is that everyone's gone now in this story. And now he begins to say, I just need somewhere to work. And he begins to work among pigs. Now, that's a Jewish no-no because pigs are considered unclean. Not only is he working with pigs, He's even okay to the point of saying, I'll even eat what they're eating. That's how desperate he was. And we do that too, don't we? We decide that we know better than God, and then we get to a point of desperation, and we'll begin to act out, and we'll begin to do things that aren't in our character. And we see that the son here was at that point. But yet, here's what we see in verse 17. Let's look together. It says this, but when he came to himself, 
That's important. Verse 17, when he came to himself. In other words, in, the, in other translations, it says when he came to his senses. What does that really mean? It says he realized that living with dad was a lot better than living with pigs. That's coming to his senses. And that's important because he realized that he really messed up royally. He had done something that broke his father's heart when he was thinking selfish. But when he came to his senses, he said, listen, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to write the most eloquent speech. I'm even going to tell my father I've sinned against heaven and you. I'll even be a servant of yours. I don't even have to be your son. I mean, he's coming up with all this stuff. But why did he come up to all that stuff? He had to come to his senses. He had to realize that his way was not the right way. I mean, even, even as, you know, just as I was taking time and studying the, the scripture, I'm just thinking, if I'm the son in that moment, I'm thinking, I will tell my dad, I will do whatever. Whatever you need me to do. I will do, just so that I'm in right standing with you. And yet in verse 20, let's go to verse 20. This is now he is, he's on his way back. He heads back to his father's place. Verse 20, this is speaking of the father. It says, and he arose and came to his father. That's his son. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That's powerful. Because as an elder of your home, as the patriarch of the home, you did not run. Literally, it was like, it was a sign of shame. An elder did not do that. And so in that day and time, for him to run to him, for him to have compassion on him, for him to hug and kiss him, that was completely different than probably what he was ready to experience. For him, he, he probably was thinking, I need to grovel. I need to really beg dad because, because, for him to say, Dad, I want my inheritance, you might as well be dead. Well, now for his son to do what he did, he was dead to the family. And yet his father shows compassion. His father shows grace and mercy. Not even thinking, like, just for a moment, would you with me, thinking as, as, as a father, as a parental figure in this moment, thinking, I know what this boy did to this family. What am I, what is my standing going to be in the community now? But yet he ran to him, had compassion for him, and he hugged him, and he kissed him. And we see in these other verses, in verse 21, I'm not going to read it, but he is saying, once again, I'm no longer. He, now he's speaking to his dad. I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And yet, beginning in verse 22, let's listen to what the father says. Verse 22 says, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. What just happened? This should have been a moment where the father said, boy, just, just go, just get out of my sight. I don't want to see you. We will deal with this in a minute before I choke you out, <laughs> whatever it was. But yet he's saying, time out, everybody. My boy has come home. We're going to celebrate because he was lost. He lost his way. He thought his way was right, but he sees that my way was good, and I cared for him, 
And we're going to celebrate because he was lost, but now he's found. His father didn't say, you know, slap him upside the head or whatever. You know, we see that the father here said, my son is restored to the family. He didn't have to earn it. He didn't have to work for it. But my boy went from death to life. Does that sound familiar? You and I are dead to sin, but when we came by faith and, and to believe what Christ has done, we went from dead to sin to alive in Christ Jesus. We were restored to the family of God. And in those moments where we do think that our way is best, guess what? We break fellowship with our Heavenly Father. We break fellowship with Him. But what we see is not only the Father extended grace, but the Father extended kindness. The Father extended kindness to his son. Titus 3, beginning in verse 4, says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of what? The, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. When it comes to us, we are incapable of making ourselves right with God. We are just that incapable. But he gave us what we did deserve. That's what mercy is, giving us what we do deserve. And he gave us a savior. And Jesus did the work on the cross to restore us through faith. So the Father extended mercy and kindness. And the question for us today is where is your life, where in your life do you feel that you have to work for God's approval? Where in your life do you feel that you have to work for God's approval? Because as a father, I didn't do very well all the time. I had high expectations, unmet expectations, things that my kids couldn't meet. But what we're learning about our Heavenly Father today, it's not what you can do. You can come up with the greatest speeches, you can come up with the greatest acts and the greatest works, but it's realizing what's already been done for you. And so as we continue, we talked about one son. And, and if you've been in, again, in church long enough, the prodigal literally means lavishly a, a, a spender, you know, and we always sometimes think, oh, it was that he came back. No, prodigal literally means like waster of money. And so that's what he did. Just that's a little side. That, that one's free. But let's, let's go look at the older son now. Let's go to verse 25. It says, now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. There's music and dancing. Wow, that's, that's a shock. You know, think about that for a second. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back and safe and sound. So the older brother comes home from a long day of work Here's the commotion going on, finds out his brother's back and thinking, you know, if the older brother, if I'm him, I'm thinking I should have put him in his place before he left. I should have told him what he shouldn't be doing because he's one who's working hard for dad, right? Look what I'm doing for you, pops. Like I'm doing the right thing. And if I just told my little brother to keep his mouth shut, there wouldn't be no party going on. So you, you can begin to see as we're going to continue here, but there had to have been some sense of jealousy going on. Look at all that I can do for you, Dad. 
and this guy, look what he's done to you. But let's look at verse 28 through 32 and the interaction between the father and the son. Verse 28, it says, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. In other words, he began to beg him and speaking with him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, not even my brother, this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you've killed the fattened calf for him. And this is the father. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost. And now he's found. I mean, this older brother probably is venting towards his dad. I've been loyal to you. I've never disobeyed you. I didn't get anything from you. I didn't even get a goat. <laughs> and maybe today, like, I didn't even get a car. You know what I mean? Like, but what we're seeing here is that he is so angry and jealous of what's going on for this lazy brother of his who shamed the family, who made his dad look like a fool, who wasted his money on everything that didn't matter, that, that would be very temporary. But yet what, what we need to realize is that it's, it's very interesting that he was angry with the dad when yet he got two-thirds of the inheritance just several verses prior. Didn't say that. Like, Dad, thanks for what you gave me. You know, I should go thank the younger brother because I get my inheritance now. But yet he whines and he, and he cries and he's complaining about his brother. This is what he did to you when you gave in to him. But I have to tell you, I have to respect this man who had to deal with these two boys. Because, listen, he was telling his older son, son, you have a privileged position in my house. You and I, as followers of Christ, have a privileged position in Christ. And sometimes we can get caught up what everybody else is doing. We can get, well, why are they doing that? How come they choose to live this way? Look at what I'm doing. But God says, remain faithful to me. Don't worry about everybody else. As we've said here before, comparison kills our contentment. When we have those things that go on in our life that make no sense, there's purpose in our pain. God says, instead of whining, praise. Give, give, give God the praise that he deserves. The father was telling the son, there are benefits to being a part of my household, son. And, and let's think about this. Like, if I was the father, I'm saying, hey, here's the deal, son. You can have a party anytime. You know that, right? You could do that, but we had to celebrate. And so whether it is that son of mine, because he was lost, he was dead to the family. He didn't have any significance, and he lost his way, but he came home. And so we see that with the older son, the father extended generosity. The father extended generosity to the older son. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And what I love about when, 
as a follower of Christ, when you accept him into your life, he gives you the Holy Spirit as a seal that you are his and as a promise that he will come for us one day. So he says, you have a benefit in this household to you and I today. And when we get into this idea of, eh, wah, woe is me, and wah, 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 wah. Listen, God's generosity brought about salvation. If there's anything that you can be thankful for today as a follower of Christ, is the salvation that is found through him. And when we forget that, we become ignorant of the fact of what God has done. Me included. But yet God still offers rescue to those that are disconnected from him. You may have people in your life, or even your one, that you think they would never, there's no way that they would come to a relationship with God. But maybe our hearts have hardened towards God working in people's lives. That's what we see. So sometimes we can become a little legalistic. Sometimes we can become a little religious. But what God is saying to us, don't forget what I've done for you that I can do for others. That's what he wants us to remember. I mean, just think about what it was like for your life before Jesus Christ. Think about how your life has changed as a result of God transforming your heart. Because there's probably things that you did that you don't do anymore. And there's probably things that you don't do that you do now because of the changing power of Jesus Christ. And yet the Father showed grace, he showed kindness, and he showed generosity to boys, boys who didn't deserve it. But that, that goes to us too. Because this story really is ultimately, it speaks of God the Father, the nation of Israel, and those who are outside of the people of God. That's really what this story is speaking of. But what does it mean for us? What, is, what does this really mean? Are, are we, am I the prodigal? Am I the older brother? Well, I'm surely not God. <laughs> but how do we respond to a father, a heavenly father who is gracious, a heavenly father who is kind, and a heavenly father who is generous? Well, the first is this, that no matter how far, run to God. No matter how far, run to God. But sometimes it takes us coming to our senses to know that we need to go back. You ever, you ever go to the ocean and you get in and then before you know it, with the, the, the under, undercurrent, that you're not in the same place that you were? And you have to, sometimes you've got to swim back or you just swim straight forward and hope to get back to shore? That's how it is with us and God sometimes. We get, and we drift, and we drift, and we just keep doing our thing each and every day, not thinking that it's pulling us away until we come to our senses. So no matter how far, run to God. Isaiah 1.8 says this, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool already seeing that, that in, even once again in the Old Testament, speaking of what was to come, and the gospel is right here. So again, maybe we need to come to our senses. Maybe we need to begin to say, do I need to run back to God? Remember, as a follower of Christ, we break fellowship with our Heavenly Father when we sin against Him, when we continue to do those things that break His heart. And I even thought about in my own life to be that 
godly father that my family deserves, even though they're older and even, you know, they're transitioning and changes of life. And, but at the end of the day, I need to be that father who my family deserves, that God wants us to be. So no matter how far you want to run to God, and the second is, is this, is that no matter how difficult, lean into God. No matter how difficult, lean in to God. God has given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us his church. He's given us his word. He's given us other believers so that we can live this life for him, no matter how difficult. And 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That's how we fight our battles. That's how we fight our battles. And for every one of us here today, if we know that we have a gracious, kind, and generous Heavenly Father, let's bring ourselves around others who can journey with us. So that when you sit there, you're saying, I don't have to do this alone. And when we're around others, we have others who can hold us accountable. That's what's great about it. Because when we look at the older son, we can say, whoa, time out. Do you remember when you did X? Not to shame people, but to hold each other accountable, to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us when we are wrong, when we are not living as the people God intended us to be. So find others that you can journey with. And as we began this, this afternoon, we said that sometimes it's the small things that can make the greatest impact, right? And so I want to say that this parable that we took time to look at this afternoon, we see that what a parable brings you to a decision about God. And a lot of times that in our lives, we may see um, or not see a reflection of a, of a heavenly father through our earthly fathers. Some of you may have lost your fathers. Uh, some of you may not have that relationship with your father. But you have a heavenly father today that you can journey with. You have a Heavenly Father that will love you. And not only will He love you, but He will not leave you in the place that you're at. But just remember, even though God is capable of bringing change in your life, He wants you to be a part of the process. Are you with me? We, what did we say a couple weeks ago? People aren't projects, they're in process. So if we're not a project, then we are in process. And yet God will always nudge us and say, come on, I'm waiting. You just come to me. I'm waiting. It doesn't matter how far, just run. It's okay. No matter how difficult it is, I am with you. I remember when I was younger, and I think I've shared this before, but my dad would always say, if you want to be popular, you'll end up probably doing the wrong thing. And doing the wrong thing may not make you popular. Because I always had this need just to feel wanted. So I was a follower a lot, you know. But I knew that that, that wasn't working. <laughs> but I had to come to my senses and allow the Lord to work in my heart, in my life, to show me that, you know what, I've called you for so much more. And when I began to put my security in Christ, that changed the game, you know. And I still have my insecurity with whether it's in my own personal life, you know, with the church that being started, and but yet God continues to say to me, you just keep being faithful. You keep being faithful. I'm going to remind you 
who's got this and who's got you. I'm going to ask David to come back up, and I wanted to just take some time just to reflect upon what we have heard this afternoon. And I wanted to ask you, because we said a parable brings you to a decision about God. And so the question is, what are you deciding about the grace, the kindness, and generosity of God the Father? What, what does his salvation mean to you today? Because that's the power of one. Not what you did. Not what I did. Not what we could not do. But what God has already done for us. Because it was one Heavenly Father, one act of love on our behalf. And maybe that one that we've been talking about throughout our series, maybe that one just needs to hear that. One God, one act of love, one Son for new life. Maybe, maybe for some of you today, your family needs to know that. Maybe you need to hear that yourself. i got to remember, it was one Heavenly Father, one act of love on, on my behalf. And the power that is in you through, through the Holy Spirit is where you'll begin to see Him work. He wants you to participate. Because if it's about salvation, that's available today. That's the beauty of it, folks. If it's about a right attitude, that's available today too. But it's coming to the Heavenly Father and telling Him that you can't do it. That you need Him to do it. So I'm going to ask Mike to come and, and close us in prayer. If you need prayer after our gathering today, I'm available. If you need to talk, I'm available. Because we want to leave here as people who have been changed. Not because we had a good little time together because God moved in us.